0: Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. If you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, go ahead and do so at Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone. If you want to follow the podcast on Getter, Truth Social, and Twitter, go ahead and do so at R-K-Y Freedom. That's at R-K-Y Freedom. If there's a guest you think I should interview, you have a suggestion, or you just want to drop a line, you can go ahead and email me as well. That email address is Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. I personally would like to thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Sometimes finding your own personal freedom requires you to think outside of the box. I have a very special treat for you today on the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Jesse Fisher, along with a young couple raising a family, John and Cheryl Olson, were my guests on this episode of the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Jesse Fisher is the social media coordinator of Operation Self-Reliance. What is Operation Self-Reliance, you might ask? Well, Operation Self-Reliance specializes in self-sustaining communication, As a matter of fact, the oldest running community that they have is a town called Riverbed Ranch, 50 miles north of Delta in south-central Utah. Now, Operation Self-Reliance has started a community 30 miles outside of Snowflake, Arizona. Find out what you have to do in order to live in these self-sustaining communities, and find out how people provide their own electricity. Yes, this community is all about living off the grid, so one of the requirements is providing your own electricity. Not to mention your own whale greenhouse, and barn. Find out Jesse Fisher's story, how he got involved in the project, and find out how John and Cheryl Olson, a young couple raising a family, were inspired to move out to Riverbed Ranch. Also, find out the steps that you have to go through in order to live out in this community. You've got to take steps to move out there, and you have to be interviewed and seriously vetted. This is all coming up on the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hello, folks. How is everybody today? Good, good, good. Well, good. I am glad to have you out here. Uh, I I know that this is going to be a very epic podcast. Uh, I am here. Well, I already introduced y'all in the intro, but uh, Jesse, why don't you tell your story? How you got involved in Operation Self Reliance, and then uh, I'll let Cheryl and Jonathan take over. Well, you want the
1: short version or the long version?
0: <laughs> I don't know how long is the long um, version.
1: Oh, I don't know, ten minutes? No. Um, I was we could do some the years ago. Okay. okay. Um, I I was doing some research years ago and was reading a book about the economic history of Utah. I know it sounds like a Fascinating topic, but it was actually for me. And um, I ran across an account of what I consider to be an economic miracle that happened here in the 1860s and 1870s. And that was uh, a fellow by the name of Lorenzo Snow was challenged to build a self-sustaining community. And it took him a while to figure out how to get started. Um, I I think he had some help from George Q. Cannon is my guess. But what he did was set up a co-op store. And for those operatives in a regular corporation, in a regular corporation, you have owners, shareholders who live who knows where, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, somewhere else. And they pretty much don't, as as long as they're getting profit off their stock they don't care about the customer they don't care about the employees they don't care about the working situation or the product or anything they just want their money a co-op is very different than that uh co-ops the people who shop there or the people who work there uh own the company and they're the shareholders so all the profits stay locally and um in my opinion that's a better way of organizing economically than traditional corporations so anyway so i'm reading about this uh he sets up a co-op store and goes around town and where in utah was this by the way brigham city
0: oh wow. really
1: in fact uh he yeah he's he actually set up brigham city um it was a a little what's the english word for a A very small town it was a very small town and a bunch of scandinavian settlers came in and brigham young you may have heard of him he asked lorenzo snow to take all these settlers to this little village and create this self-sustaining community and they renamed it brigham city
0: um oh my gosh i did not
1: know that yeah okay Um, so he uh so like I say, he went around town and invited everybody who could pull together five bucks to invest in a share in this co-op and uh, so that the profits would be distributed equally as much as possible among the residents of the community. And then he also invited people to who produced anything to sell their goods through the co-op store. Uh, so then he went on vacation to Hawaii for a couple of years and... When he got back, there was $10,000 in the co-op savings account. So he took that money and set up a um, tannery. So they took the surplus hides from the local ranchers and using you know employees or uh, uh, people who lived in uh, Brigham City to do the labor, produced hats and belts and saddles and whatever else you make out of leather and sold those goods through the co-op store so they just kept doing that over and over again take uh sell new products to the store take those profits create more set up more jobs for the people producing things that were needed in the community and just did that over and over again until there were 40 different they called them departments but uh of the main co-op and uh, until In their 10th year, they had 40 of these departments producing, they estimated approximately 85% of all their consumer goods locally. So the outcome of that 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 tells me that this is the way to go is that in their 10th year, there was a worldwide recession. uh, And when the rest of the world was sucking wind, Brigham City had its best year ever. They had In that worldwide recession, they had 100% employment. They were building homes for widows and orphans, and they were giving work to the indigents passing through town. So the time I'm reading this story or this account, I had neighbors who I cared about deeply losing their homes due to unemployment. And I thought, we should be building towns like this. Instead of the way we do it now, where everybody's competing with everybody else, let's build uh, communities based on cooperation and keep the profits local um uh, and we'd all be better off um and this you know Brigham City isn't the only place this has ever been applied there's actually in northern Spain there's a town called Mondragon it's a famous uh the uh of the fame of the famous uh, Mondragon work of cooperatives in northern Spain they have um It was started by a Catholic priest back in the fifties. And um, that's a whole story in itself. But anyway, so that situation was just absolutely remarkable. This area now of Northern Spain has its own healthcare system. They have their own bank. They have their own insurance plans. They have their own, they have like over 200 different cooperatives uh, where workers work there. And one huge Well, okay. That's a whole nother interview.
0: Well, let me ask you this real quick, though. When did Brigham City start becoming like any other town in Utah? Because didn't Orderville try to do the same thing, too?
1: Well, that was later. Uh, Yeah. So what happened with uh, Brigham
0: Brigham City? How did, when did they become? Brigham
1: City was, yeah, Brigham City was the model for if you remember uh, zcmi zions cooperative mercantile institute yes first department store in america yeah um so when brigham young saw how successful lorenzo snow had been in Brigham city he got all the merchants together in town and invited all of them uh, mormons and non-mormons to sit down and and figure out how they can apply this through the whole western u.s and uh they did. They, and that's when ZCMI was created. And they had them from down in Mexico up into Canada. And uh in their they sent out a letter. The Mormon Church leadership sent out a letter in 18 what year was that, 1870 something, uh saying, Hey, if you had invested in ZCMI, you would have tripled three and a half times your the value of your initial investment in just four years, I believe it was. And they had moved something like $30 million in today's money worth of goods instead of the problem they were trying to solve was that uh, these Eastern merchants would bring in goods from back East, New York and wherever, and they would raise the price five, six hundred percent. And so all the capital was being drained from Utah and the whole West. And so this effort was to prevent that from happening. And it was a massive success. Unfortunately, um, Brigham City was using a script instead of US dollars. And the IRS looked very poorly on that and fined them $10,000. And they eventually took that to the Supreme Court and won against the IRS IRS sent the money back but by then their cart due to this fine as well as um there was a if I remember right there was a really really bad winter and it killed a huge amount of cattle and then also it seems like there was a fire or something else that happened anyway the the community wasn't resilient enough to handle it, and it fell apart.
0: So anyway, what way to I want to go I'm back. Learning so about all this, yeah. When the IRS was after Brigham Young, is that when Utah was using its own currency? Well, I don't know if I don't think it
1: was the whole state. I think just uh, just Brigham City had a uh, you know a voucher program, if you will, at yeah, the co-op. When- so.
0: Yeah, but when they came after him, because so I assume they so came after him paying. with ZCMI, correct?
1: I, I don't remember that part.
0: Well, I was just going to say, because Brigham Young would have been, ju- could have been justified in saying, I was using a script, meaning the Utah currency. That could have been a valid argument by law. He could have been justified in saying that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, possible. I'd have to look it up anyway. Carry on,
1: you know. So, so I'm studying all this, and like I say, I had neighbors losing their homes, and I thought we, we can do better than this, we can organize economically better than this, and everybody can benefit. Um, and uh, if communities are anywhere near as self sustaining as Brigham City was, uh, these recessions and depressions wouldn't affect us as much um so anyway so i um was talking to my doctor and he said well you should call philip gleason with osr operation self-reliance so i called him up and um he said well i've got this powerpoint and why don't you bring your wife and come and watch it so my wife and my sister and i um went uh, over and watched this Point presentation, which I've since made into a video, (laughs) and um, anyway, I was hooked. It was like he's going to end up.
0: What year was this? By the way, I wanted
1: to. I believe it was twenty nineteen. Okay. When did COVID COVID hit?
0: Twenty twenty, as I call the plannedemic. Yes.
1: Yeah, the plannedemic. That. So it was twenty. It was the early in twenty nineteen when I when we joined. So we were. We were the 16th shareholders in uh, the Utah OSR land co-op, and that was before we had even found land. So, in fact, 17 of us put up money saying, we love this idea, we want in uh, before before there was even any land. So, that's how I got involved.
0: Okay, so your title now is what? I know you're not the CEO. What, what is your title? No, I'm
1: not. Uh <laughs> Philip made up my title. It's the uh, social media and event coordinator. Basically,
0: social media and event I'm coordinator. A, so, I'm the
1: marketing guy.
0: Now, just to be clear for the audience, Philip Gleason is retired from this whole thing. I know he's out there in the community, yeah. but he's retired from all the duties, correct? Right. Okay.
1: He was originally on the original board and was the CEO until his term was up.
0: Okay. You know, I've got to give Phil credit. He's uh, he really put his heart and soul into this thing. I I could tell when I went out there to tour this back in September of 2022. Yeah, he did. Yes, yeah, still. So uh, Cheryl and Jonathan, I'll I'll let you folks decide who's going to talk. What's your story? How did you get involved? You two are residents out there. Uh, you yeah. don't have a title. You're just average residents. You're a couple. How did you all, how did you find out about this? And I'll let you decide who's going to talk.
2: Um, okay. Um, do you want to start? I guess, so there's okay. going to be a
3: little back and forth. because That's okay. It, the yeah. way it happened, there was some back and forth. Okay. Um, we were looking for some, uh, what would you land. call it? It's just land, recreation land.
2: Well, we also wanted to have a, a home with land that didn't cost us half a million dollars. And so we were trying to find a place where we could live and have, um, I guess, achieve our goals of, you know, big garden, maybe goats being more, more self-sustainable, being able to rely on our own work, um, rather than. Being dependent upon going to the grocery store all the time having having food that we had grown and having animals and, and dairy that we that we had I guess we can not say raised because we didn't raise that well anyway I don't know if that makes sense but we just wanted to be more self-reliant more self-sustainable and um
3: I wanted to live more closer to a lake so yes. that <laughs>
2: but everything was just so expensive and there was just no way that was ever going to happen in where we were at in Orem.
3: So we were looking around by uh, in Utah, there's a couple lakes starvation reservoir and strawberry reservoir, and they have properties up there for about the same price per acre as they do here, but they didn't have any water rights and all these other things. And we went to dinner with some of our friends and uh we get together probably once a year with them and he was like have you heard about this and so OSR. He's, yeah osr and he starts naming off you know the six requirements and it really piqued my interest and cheryl said to me
2: oh well i i'd seen it before on ksl and the first time i saw it i was just like there's no way this is gonna work these people are crazy <laughs> like you know move on go look at something else and so when he brought it back up I was like oh yeah that community where all those crazy people live and I, I didn't even know anything about it that's just the first thought that came into my head so that's where I was and then Jonathan when, decided to look more into it
3: well when she told me about it we um as kind of like a side gig for our family we would buy a rental property, fix it up and live in it for about a year. Uh, Once it was fixed, we'd start renting it. And so I wasn't really into not owning the land that I lived on. So I wanted to actually own it. And so she said she told me about it, but I poo-pooed the idea, which is probably totally possible, but I don't even remember that conversation. But once again, after my friend told me about it, it really piqued my interest. And that was on a Saturday night, and I remember going home and you know what year this UR was? Too. Uh, twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Okay, so pretty uh, January. recent. January. Yeah, so January twenty twenty one. Okay. And
2: no, no, was no, it not? no. Um, twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two, because we we bought yeah, and it was t- January twenty twenty two.
3: Sorry, twenty twenty two. Okay. So okay. he, I go, I go home. We. We get ready to go to bed, and I can't put my phone away. I'm reading through the contracts, and um,
2: wait, no, because we've been here a year. It was 2020. Maybe we're right. Maybe it was 2021. We're, we Sorry. never okay. we
3: don't plan these things out, so we don't know our exact dates. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it, either way, I just can't get it off my mind. Uh, we go to church the next day, and the gentleman was up there. He was talking about something, and I received a strong spiritual impression that we i needed to move my family out out here out to osr and for a split second i went no that can't be what's going on right it didn't make any sense it had nothing to do with what the speaker was saying and it, and it felt really wrong to push that idea away and so i went okay uh got done with church and i said Cheryl, we're moving to the middle of the desert
1: <laughs> and wow. she
3: said to me uh can i see it first <laughs> and i was like yeah let's make an appointment so we uh got a hold of jesse because he was doing zoom meetings to give you like an introduction mm-hmm. to see if it was a right fit before you would actually come out and take a tour um and we did that and within probably three or four weeks, we had picked our lot and moving stuff out to it.
2: Yeah. Purchased it.
0: Okay.
3: Interesting. was the short and skinny version. So yeah. yeah.
2: I hope it made sense.
0: So uh, Jesse, there is a lot of rigorous things that you have to do to get out to this uh, self-reliance uh, uh, riverbed ranch, which is the community that operation self-reliance is in. You don't just say, oh, I want to go move here, and I just don't call you, Jesse, and say, I want to move here, and you say, oh, great, Kevin. Uh, No, there's a rigorous thing that you've got to go through. Why don't you walk us through that? Or walk well, me and the audience through yeah, that, I should um, say.
1: Yeah. Really, it all begins with a tour. Um, About 30% of the people who come do a tour join. Uh, which is very high percentage, I would think. But yeah, it's it's not an easy transition. It's a lifestyle change. You know, we're so used to having everything at our fingertips and being able to run our electricity all day, every day. And in an off-grid situation, that's not really uh feasible. So what we do is we invite people to come do the tour. Uh we send them a follow-up email, you know, would you think? And uh You know we don't pressure anybody to do this because we sure as heck don't want to have people uproot their lives and then feel like they were pushed into it it's like uh you know but you know i'll send out emails saying hey here's an update video we've done Uh, go watch it on youtube uh so it's really up to the individual to to push it further um And so what we do is we invite them in once they're, well, we ask them to put together a a transition plan, which is probably the hardest part. The idea is uh, get from where you're at right now to living uh, in an off-grid homestead with uh, 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 producing all your own food. How are you as an individual going to make that transition? You know, what are your timeframes? What's that look like? Uh, what assets can you bring to bear? Because it's not cheap. I mean, it is no. less expensive than other options, but it's still, you know, the, we figure the bare bones minimum it takes is uh, two, 235. And that's if you build a small house and a small greenhouse, um, you know, and a small barn. Uh, so anyway, anyway so we invite were... people to to, to we to come up with uh, that transition plan, and then am I or am I still connected? I
3: just, yeah, I was just curious. Dude, have we discussed the like the six requirements that we agree to?
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's no, discuss yeah. that real quick.
3: Okay. You want Go to take ahead. it away <laughs> Oh, so <laughs> we when it? we agreed, uh, there were six requirements that my, my friend told me about. He said that uh, everyone has to have their own solar uh, with backup power, like battery banks. You have to have your own septic tank and your own well. Those are kind of, you know, the things to live with. Bare minimum. The bare minimum. And then you need a greenhouse, a barn or a shop, and a home. And then he gave me some square footage for the house that he read about or he learned about on the marketing. And that's uh, that's what those were the things that intrigued me because I forgot to mention those. But that's what we agreed to. And so when. Yeah, that's what Jesse's talking about.
0: Okay. Anyway, go ahead, Jesse.
1: Uh, Let's see. So.
0: um, So people have to make an agreement.
1: Right. Um, And then, so that's, that's as far as we usually have taken people. And then recently, we've started asking people to put together a self-reliance history, just a one page. um, What have you been doing in your life that, uh, around self-reliance? Have you, have you been gardening? Have you been raising animals? You know, so typically the people that Fit well at Riverbed Ranch are people who are already interested in self-reliance. They're already producing some level of their own food, or or something along those lines. And and that's not a hardcore requirement. We just we're interested in knowing how much experience living a self-reliant lifestyle do you have. So that's kind of a new thing we've been asking people to to give us. And then once they're, in fact, let me go. To the transition plan, the reason we ask people to do the transition plan is because we want to make sure that they're that they've thought it through, that they know they can afford to do this. Because we had some people joining early on who uh, we've we've got the money. In fact, one single lady said, oh, yeah, I can I can pay for the share in the co-op. And I can build a house. Well, come to find out, she was unemployed, and her mom loaned her the money <laughs> to to buy her share in the co-op. So we cut her a check and sent it back to her and said, "This this isn't going to work." So after that, we started uh, we started inviting people to do the transition plan, so we know they thought it through, and we know they know they can do it or not. And we and we turn people down. Um, in fact. <laughs> one family got pretty mad at Philip because he said, this, this isn't going to work. They had their heart set on joining OSR and he, you know, looking at their finances and stuff, he just said, come back when you can afford it and you can't. Uh, In fact, uh, you know, we hate doing that, but we also don't want people getting stuck. Yeah. So anyway, so after you, you get the transition plan done and and uh, lately the um, self-reliance history, and you're convinced that you can do it and you are you have the funds ready to join, uh, then you have an interview with Philip Gleason to review all of that and make sure you haven't overlooked something, you know, make sure you really can afford it. Because just because you make 10 grand a month doesn't necessarily, this is going to work for you because we all know how rickety the economy is and you could lose your job anytime. Yep. Um, so in fact, that that was the situation with the family. He turned away. It was like, you know, if you, if you lose your job, you are stuck. And he just said, no, this isn't going to work. So um, anyway, so then uh, he interviews you and assuming that, uh, everything looks good he refers you to the board and then the board literally votes on whether or not to let the family in so that's the process
0: so it's actually a lot
1: easier than buying a house
0: so jonathan and cheryl how long did it take you folks from the time that you submitted your plan to the time that you got into the community how long did it take you to get all that done and get approved and everything else
2: two to three weeks
3: i would i was thinking the same thing i was somewhere around two weeks maybe three and that was like to finalize the plot and yeah. sign you doc you sign all the the uh, contracts mm-hmm. um but sure. it was it wasn't as bad like we were eager like i like i said i felt like we were supposed to be here and so it may have felt a little longer but two to three weeks probably is a really good estimate yeah
0: Okay, well, and, and once, then, oh, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, once we, once we really figured out what OSR was about, and I actually got facts and I, was, I realized that the people out here weren't crazy, and you know, it wasn't a crazy idea, um, I, I realized that it had every, like, all of the goals that we had for ourselves were all of the things that were out here in OSR everything, like all of our boxes had been ticked. Like we wanted our own land. We wanted to be self-reliant. We wanted our own animals. I wanted to be out of the city and be in nature. I love being outdoors. I, you know, I love this beautiful earth and I wanted to have our own little piece of it that we could love and take care of. And all of those boxes were ticked and checked and, um, we we realized that everything we've been doing over the past couple of years previous to this had been working towards towards coming out here and we just didn't realize it at the time. So once we knew this is where we were going to be, it happened super fast and everything just just fell into oh, place.
0: Yeah, okay. And so no, you that, moved out in what 20 20- Oh, go ahead, Jesse.
1: That's actually not that's actually not typical. <laughs> uh, Olson's are awesome. Uh, on average so I I crunched the numbers went back through all the people who joined we've had people join within days and then that's very untypical and then on the other extreme we've had people who it took them uh, two and a half years to actually pull the trigger Uh, the average is about six months that it takes people to, to explore it look at it decide figure out how to how to fund it all of that
0: okay well great so what uh do you remember jonathan cheryl what year you actually moved out there was it in 2022
2: yeah last year june 2022 when we moved out here full time
0: okay yeah. so you had your house built and everything at that point <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh okay
2: we, we live in a camper
0: ah but- campers are nice
2: yes well uh, i told jonathan if we were doing this he was going to let me pick out the camper so i picked out the camper and i made sure it had everything that we would need to be, to live in it for you know three to five years if 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 that was what happened while we were building stuff so uh, yeah well you know, i we uh, i'll that. tell you why
0: i like campers off the podcast campers are nice um <laughs> so uh you okay so uh, Jonathan pointed onto something and I'll let Jesse expand. You don't own the land. So how does that work, Jesse? You don't own the land, but there's a deed that you sign. How does all that work? Okay,
1: you you actually are a co-owner of the entire thing. So you because you own a share in the company that owns everything. So um what the so on the deed is the Utah OSR Land Co-op. But you're given uh, an exclusive right by contract to whichever two-acre lot you pick. So it's it's based on the model. This extremely common city, seventy-five percent of the people who own an apartment own it through a co-op. So you buy the share attached to whichever apartment it is, and and you have exclusive rights to the Your name's not on the deed, but essentially you own it through by contract. So, um, yeah, that's how it works. Interesting. We're doing this this same thing, but with farmland.
0: So it's not one of those things like the Homestead Act of uh, 1870-something, I believe is what it was, or 18. I wish. Where you homestead on it for five years, and then it becomes your land. I can't remember what year that passed. I don't think it was in the 1870s. But it's not like that. You just basically farm the land. And (laughs) I guess you own a share of it. I guess there's a difference between a share and the land. I'm not sure how the technicalities of it work. Uh, Maybe you can explain that, but you own a share of it. And then what happens if you want to sell it? How do you sell it if you don't own the land itself, but you have a share?
1: Right. If you in an apartment complex you sell your share and your apartment goes with it with all the uh, uh, improvements that you've made for whatever the market will give you for it and we've had several people shares already uh in yeah. fact one fan one family i felt so bad for them so this couple i can't remember the names right off but they had a lot of kids and they moved all their household goods out to their lot at riverbed rent container and they dug a well, and they uh, poured a basement. And then their two oldest age boys said, "We've changed our minds. We refuse to live out there." That dad was so mad. You could see you could see steam coming out of his ears. Wow. I was I was helping them. I was helping them move all their household goods back into a unit a happy camper. But anyway, so he posted, uh, Hey, our, our share, we put this much money into it. Uh, um, they posted it to our Facebook group. If I remember right, this is what we need. And I believe within two days, someone had bought it.
0: Wow. Uh, I wonder whatever happened to him to this well, day. Two, da- uh, two days is
1: unusual, but yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, okay, so let's talk about, uh, I read an article, Jesse, where now you're on your website there. The latest story is back in October, I believe, of 2022, but I did read something. Inter- What's that?
1: Which website are you talking about?
0: Uh, the Operation Self-Reliance Community, (OSR OSR.com, or okay. osrcommunity.com.
1: Ah, you're talking about the latest news that nobody updates? Okay. Actually, uh, (laughs) before we go there, who's in charge of that?
0: (laughs) Well, before we go there, let's talk about the academy because uh, we talked about this plan. You know, you've got to submit your plan, what you're going to do to get out there, and you Mm -hmm. get help from the academy. Not only do you get, I guess, the part of the academy is this training because you've got to go through training. And webinars, you've got assignments to do. That's part of the academy, correct?
1: Right, but it's not mandatory, it's just there as a resource. The Academy oh, okay. of Self Reliance is uh, an educational non but it set prob- up for this very purpose to help
0: people transition. But it probably would help if you actually did that work, wouldn't it? Those oh absolutely. Did you do that, oh, Cheryl?
2: No, I didn't.
0: Okay. Did you, Jonathan? No, okay, okay. So uh, the other thing that I have noticed there's uh, 100, or, uh one hundred or one thousand two hundred and forty five acres out there. You plan to fill, I believe, one hundred and fifty acres with houses. Correct, Jesse? Five hundred. Well,
3: the
0: the total property
1: is twelve hundred and forty five acres. There are one hundred thirty oh, okay. uh, lots have been spoken for.
0: Okay, because I, I think I heard in Phil's speech that he wants to save a lot of the acreage for a school. Oh, well, I see. And a greenbelt. Oh, that's belt. forty-five
1: acres. Yeah, yeah, there's forty-five acres set apart uh, for various social services, if you want to call them that. Um, the land and the waters uh, set aside for that. Um, the challenge is. Uh, uh, we're all in our greenhouses and our and our septic tanks and our solar systems and starting on our houses that nobody's gotten around to setting any of those up yet. But the plan, it's similar to an industrial park where the city sets it up and then the community uh, can build those things that are it's set aside for. So that's like a young mother's home, a a K-12 private school or public or whatever it ends up being, Um, a research center or agricultural and technology research center, um, retirement community or facility, and an equine canine therapy barn. I don't know that I remembered all of the things, but that's what's set up. We do have a company just yesterday the day before, Monday. I think. Uh, it was Monday? Monday they came by. Cool. Um, uh, I I wasn't there and I didn't talk to them, so I'm not 100% clear. Maybe Jonathan knows more about it than I do. Um, but a company that uh, operates, um, I believe, Trouble um, or Centers, in Utah, uh, came out and toured the the big boss, his assistant, and a couple of other people. And they were just thrilled beyond about the possibility of setting up our uh, troubled youth home. Oh, wow. So that's a possibility. Yeah, we'll see if that bears fruit.
0: So the K-12 through school that you're going to set up, I understand it to be a charter school, not necessarily... A full-blown government school, correct? Well,
1: um, oh. we had we had a shareholder who uh, was – he had set up something like 13 charter schools in Utah. He was a consultant. He was actually a shareholder at OSR. He got married, and his wife just said, no, we're not going to live there. So he sold his share. He was researching, you know, is it going to be best for us to go a public school, a private school, or a charter school? And he said that the charter school laws in Utah have become so restrictive. Basically, they're forcing you to be a traditional, you know, to act and look just like a traditional public school. So he said, "You guys don't, you guys probably don't want to do that." So, but what happened naturally is. Uh, that the parents at, of the kids out at Riverbed Ranch just started their own. So, my understanding is they meet once a week. Uh, they have special lessons, you know, about history or, or music or foreign languages or whatever. And then throughout the rest of the week, the kids either are doing uh, online school or some version of homeschool.
0: Okay, and these are So the, we may
1: ne- we may never actually build a school. I don't know. We'll okay. s- we'll see. It's really up to the sh- it's really up to the members whether or not that happens.
0: Okay. So I want to go talk about a couple more things here before we get into solar power and all these things, but I want to talk about a lesson that you folks learned in building your first well. Usually a well takes four to five days to dig. And then I guess some, I don't know what happened, but according to the website, you learned a lesson. This well took two weeks to dig and then you were on your second well. So what happened during that first well? Do you know? I'm not sure which well you're talking about. Well, it was from an Um, article back in October of 2022 on your website.
1: Um, Well, let me go look on that. I've I've got it in front of me. Let me scan through it here real quick.
0: Okay. While you're doing that, I do have another question for you, though. I am a blind person, as you remember, when I took the tour back in September of 2022. And I know nothing about agriculture. I'm on a very limited income. I'm not going to get into the details right now, but my income is very limited. If I went out there knowing nothing about agriculture, and it was just me, first of all, I'm not sure that you would take me, but second of all, if you did... What kind of training would I need? Because obviously I'd need to figure this out myself. I couldn't have people do it all the time. I'd have to figure out a lot on my own. And then uh, what would you have me do for a living? Because I understand people need to have jobs out there or some way to sustain money. And I'm sorry, but a government check would not cut it for what the self-reliance community does. It just wouldn't. Uh, But what would you have me do in return? Maybe do a podcast like this, uh, teach people how to get a ham radio license. What would you have me do?
1: Well, that's up to you. I mean, this is Operation self reliant Yes. You would need to figure out skills you can bring to the marketplace in a profitable manner. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's plenty of people out there who've been very successful and would be happy to, you know, answer questions or uh, have you, let you bounce your plan off them. Uh, mm-hmm. There's several who have done quite well in their careers. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: There
1: are uh, different ways. At one time, I thought of six. I don't have all six in front of me. I don't know if I can through them all but I figured out there were six ways that you could earn a living at Riverbed Ranch. And in a small town, typically you have to do several things. Isn't that right, Jonathan? Yeah. (laughs) So in fact, Jonathan, why don't you tell us about how you provide for your family if you don't Mm. mind?
3: Uh, So I don't know if I'm the norm Uh, as of right now, because we had multiple rental properties. uh, We sold those. And as we hemorrhage money uh, to get our infrastructure in and uh, build our requirements, um, we continue to hemorrhage money. But uh, what I what I can say, not speaking to the finances, is even though this is one of the hardest things that we as a family have ever done, it's been the most rewarding. Um, so it, it's really up to us, like it's up to me, how much I want to work for other people and how much I need to spend on. We have finished our greenhouse. Uh, we're in the process of building our barn. We have our septic tank in. It took three weeks to drill our well.
2: No, it took it took over a month.
3: I'm sorry. I didn't They well Correction, over a month because the, it broke down and we went a little deeper. That's um, a lot of rock. A lot of rock to get to the water aquifer that we wanted. Um, and we have our solar array. So after the barn is built, the last thing we have is the house. And so I balance between helping others, taking paid jobs, and working here on our own piece of property. Does that answer your question? Yes.
2: Okay. And what John didn't tell you is that he can pretty much do anything. He's like Superman. If there's a problem, (laughs) he will look Mm -hmm. it up on YouTube and he will figure out how to like, he's so mechanically minded and so gifted with his hands that he can, he can figure out how to fix anything and he does and he will. And, um, so that's what keeps us going and that's what's helped. He's helped our neighbors several times and people pay him to do things. And, um, yeah, so he, he Mm -hmm. definitely is not the norm out here, but, um, there's,
3: there are a lot of great people out here and I'm glad uh, to be a part of the community.
0: Yeah. So Jesse, have you read the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand or have you John and Cheryl?
3: I
1: have not. I actually, I I actually refer to it in some of my marketing.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? So, uh, Jesse, does this uh, community, this self-sustaining community, remind you of Ayn Rand's utopian community in Colorado that she wrote about? Now, obviously, it's not as sophisticated as this, but doesn't it kind of remind you of that?
1: Well, and not just that, Kevin, the... The whole scenario that she paints with the U.S. government being corrupt to the core yep. and and passing idiotic laws is it in my mind that book is prophecy and it's coming true today. Absolutely, and so it is. in 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 some of the outreach I do to people um, all over the Western U.S. is I I say something like, uh, "Have you ever read the book?" book uh, atlas shrugged well in that story character invites people productive people to to leave society and join a self-sustaining community does that sound interesting to you (laughs) and if they respond in the positive then i send them information so yes very much very much so that book is uh like i say it it's literally coming true
0: Well, let me ask you all this, and uh, all of you can answer if you'd like. Are you worried about informants coming in and trying to divide people? Are you worried about informants trying to find any little thing wrong and then go back to their buddies in Salt Lake and the legislature saying, we got to stop this community out here. It's this, this, this. Uh, Let's pass a law. Maybe it won't mention the Riverbed Ranch community or S.O.R., but it may, the bill would be crafted in such a way that you know that you folks would be the target. Is, are any of you worried about this? Olsons? are you
1: worried about that?
2: No. I, so I don't know how much you want to get into like religious beliefs at all, but I, I really feel like God has his hand in our community out here, and the only way that it won't work is if we as a community cannot work together and cannot be unified. I feel like if we can work, if we can learn to work together and learn to look past each other's faults and shortcomings and really, really see the good in each other and pull together in our desires for this community to thrive, I don't think anything will be able to. To keep that from
1: happening we okay. have had some we have had some government um roadblocks put in our in our way and we were able to overcome those by hiring an attorney which kind of burns me that you have to hire attorneys to get justice in the united states anyway so yeah it could happen we don't worry about it we don't stay up at night worrying about it
0: yeah now have you ever thought uh, jesse of having a constitution in the community in case leaders of the community do get divisive or somebody gets on a power trip i do know one thing that you've got in place though which is pretty cool you've got election districts 50 houses are in a district Oh no, fifty acres. I think or no, fifty houses are in a district, and I can't remember how many districts there are. And then you can uh, overturn the district director. Or is that enough well, for you? Or that's
1: you... yeah. We we haven't sold all two hundred fifty shares yet, so uh there's only a hundred and thirty that have been you know half of them taken. So the districts haven't been laid out yet. So. However, the bylaws talk about the method that we can toss somebody off the board. So everybody, all the board members are elected at large at this point districts, or at least that was the original plan. Um, so in fact, we've we've done that. We've voted somebody off the board because they were just creating too many problems.
0: Okay. So, do you feel that you need to have a constitution set up, though, or is that well, enough? Do you think?
1: Oh, well, that's what bylaws are. Bylaws are okay. a constitution. It's oh, for okay. a company.
0: Yeah. Are the bylaws on your website? I never got a hold of any of that. Uh, or do?
1: Uh, they're somewhere on a website, and okay. And yeah, that's um, how I get you. I can get you, can get you a tonight. copy if you'd like.
0: Now, the other question I want to ask you, Jesse, is this. I know that one of the plans is to put a clinic out there, but and then a mobile clinic, and I think a dentist, and that dentist to be mobile and probably have their own place. Oh, I, I, I get the impression that a lot of you folks out there are into homeopathic medicine. So would you have a clinic that specializes in both holistic and Western medicine out there?
1: Carol? Um,
2: I think so. I think, you know, there's, I, I don't, I don't do well with extremes. I think you have to find balance. And I think finding a good balance between Western medicine and homeopathic is, is the right direction to go. There's people who, who out here who um, are more comfortable with Western medicine and people who, a lot of people who are more comfortable with homeopathic. So I think finding um, bringing both of those out here and finding a way to kind of have them work together is would be the best for our community.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I can explain the current setup we have. Um, We have a doctor, uh, a retired doctor, uh, military doctor. Uh, he doesn't live out there yet. Uh, he's building a home still. His daughter, who's a nurse, uh, she has the lot next door to him. We do have a dentist. He he doesn't live out there yet. Uh, we have a very experienced nurse who was buddies with Mother Teresa and uh, worked for the WHO and... Um, has delivered hundreds and hundreds of babies in third world countries. Anyway, he's a temporary clinic, but then his health isn't doing so hot. And um so I don't believe that clinic is open anymore. But eventually, once more the more people who move out there with skills, the the um, more self reliant we can be as a community, especially in healthcare. So the clinic can actually Uh, Several of our shareholders got together and designed a clinic. Uh, They have plans to include both um, alternative medicine and traditional Western medicine, all
0: in the same clinic. Oh, that's great. Now, I want to talk about the fact that one of the things that you have to do out there in the community is farm. Now, you yourself may not be a farmer. But you, somebody's got to be out there farming. Uh, you know, I know that there's people who live out there part-time. You don't have to live there full-time, but you've got to be producing full-time your own food in that. So how, uh, how does that work? Just to, You know, they'll have somebody, let's say Dan Roberts, just to throw a name out there, doesn't live there full-time, but he might have his daughter out there farming. Is there a lot of that going on? Because I know one of the requirements is you yeah, got to produce agriculture,
1: right? Right, and the reason it, for that is that we're an agri- we're organized under Utah law as an agricultural cooperative. Uh, so our understanding of their, of the government's interpretation of that law is that uh, in a census year, you have to produce at least a thousand dollars worth of agricultural products. Or agricultural related services. So, like if you fix tractors, that would uh, apply. It doesn't say our understanding is that they told us that you don't have to sell $1,000 worth of goods, you have to produce them. And with inflation, I would think one or two cherry fill that by the time the next census year rolls around uh, would fill that quota of $1,000. Um, so, Let's see. I'm trying to remember the rest of your question.
0: Well, okay. So I know that you have to produce agriculture out there. That's one of the plans, you know, one of the things that you sign that you agree to, but you don't have to be a full-time resident. You know, so for example, let's just say Dan Roberts moves out there. He has work in the city. It's easier for him to live in Salt Lake, Provo, whatever but he might come out once a month or once every three months, but maybe his dad, his daughter, Gina, is doing the farming, Gina and whoever's out sure. there. Is that sure. a pretty common thing out there?
1: Uh, I don't know about common, but it's definitely an option. We Basically, the land just needs to be productive. So yeah. if, if you want to live there full-time or part-time, great. If you've got family or your next door neighbor out there, you want to share crop with them, just whatever. Uh yeah, whatever, whatever arrangement works for the shareholder.
0: Now, is it one of those things where you're out there and maybe your nearest neighbor is uh two or three miles away or are there actual next door no, neighbors no. now? Yeah,
1: the community's only like three, three and a half miles long. And most almost all of the almost all of the uh, lots are on the south half of that or south three fifths of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So my next door. So my lot runs east and west. It's uh, two acres. uh, So 200 and something feet to the north of me is one neighbor and 200 something feet to the south of me is a neighbor. So it's they're not you know, it's not that spread out. It's, yeah, two acres is is uh, the model that we're based on. And, and it's not, uh, you mentioned farming. This, we're not encouraging people at all to do traditional farming. Traditional farming wastes a lot of water and is very hard on the land. Uh, it actually makes the land infertile after a, a while. What we're encouraging people to do is regenerative uh, gardening. So where you're Nurture soil back to life, and uh, encouraging all, all the bacteria and and worms and everything else to bring life to the soil, so that it will provide food for you forever instead of five or ten years until you burned it out with fertilizers. So,
0: okay, interesting. I want to talk about uh, a machine. I uh, heard somewhere on one of Phil's videos that there's a machine that plants plants or something like that. Correct?
1: Yeah. When we when we first put a offer on the land, actually before we made the offer, we asked the seller, "Hey, can we grow a crop of hemp?" Hemp uh, for two reasons: a, we wanted to see would the land actually support agriculture. Uh, It had been an alfalfa farm, so it makes sense that it would, but we wanted to try it out anyway. So we got, we only had to pay the state of Utah $500 for permission to grow hemp. Wasn't that nice of them? Mm -hmm. And um, so we put in five or six acres of hemp. And um, so to try, at the time, growing hemp was this huge new industry and it was burgeoning. And we simply could not find the equipment needed to plant it. Philip and a couple of the other guys got built a um, piece of equipment dragged behind a tractor that allowed two people there in these uh, seats and the hemp plants uh, all in a row. So they planted five or six acres using that equipment. The idea was, hey, well, let's build it and then let's put some people to work and have them produce those and sell them in the marketplace.
0: And did it work?
1: The the machinery worked great. Yeah. Like it I say, did selling it at the market marketplace work. Uh, nobody took that project up. So oh, we don't okay. know yet if it's gonna sell. It's the equipment's sitting there. Anybody could walk up and figure out how it works and design one and start selling them.
0: (laughs) But the are the hemp. So the hemp plants are still out there. I take it.
1: Years ago, that was yeah. We bought the land um, three years ago. I think. So you folks work with
0: a construction company to build your house to build houses, but do they have do people who move out there have to work? Uh, with that construction company that you're endorsing?
1: Oh, no. Oh, heavens, no. We're, we're yeah, we're very much a libertarian. Okay. Small case. So out, even though you endorse SolarC
0: you... to, to install your solar panels, sure. you don't have to work with SolarC if you don't oh, no. want to. Okay. No,
1: there's several other people who, yeah, there's a couple of other people who are dealers for other brands of solar equipment.
0: Okay. Speaking of solar, I want to talk about solar because this is very intriguing, and this is where I'm going to particularly rely on uh, the Olsons here, John and Cheryl. Um, John, how do you use solar? Because I've always been under the impression that you have to rationalize your electricity. As a matter of fact, Glenn Beck, in his book The Great Reset, talks about how he is almost – ready to have his house completely off the grid, but he always has to get on for emergencies. And he was basically talking about how the government can't be going, you know, we can't be going all solar. And I think he was talking about the central power grid. So how do you manage solar? Do you have to rationalize electricity? How do you folks do all that?
3: That's a great question. Um, So part of OSR... Uh, that intrigued me was the passive solar home so you weren't using a ton of energy to heat or cool your home or these other items you know uh, power dryers that kind of things that use 30 amps plus Uh, for us living in the our camper currently we only have half of the solar panels up that we purchased we have 16 of our 32 up which provide more than enough power for our 50 amp camper and a small shop that i have uh, currently in a semi-trailer we have uh, two dozen batteries that stores our power Um, we have yet to have a problem where uh, we couldn't provide power so even when it was the middle of winter The sun wasn't out for multiple days at a time. We probably only ran our generator a half a dozen times uh, to keep the batteries charged or provide power to the home. So our situation is a little different than others, though, uh, because it depends on how many panels that you have and how many batteries that you have to store is how much power you're going to produce and how much power you're going to have on hand at any given moment.
2: Um, You also have to be mindful of the power that you're using and the weather and if it's a like if it's a cloudy day, I'm not going to be like watering the plants in the garden probably for as long as I normally do or doing as much laundry as normal. Um, We can still do stuff but just keeping in our minds to keep our our power usage more to a minimum um, so that we can keep our batteries fully charged.
0: So one of the compromises you might make, Cheryl, is, okay, I'm going to wash the clothes today. Let's say it's cloudy or it's below zero out there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You might say, okay, I wash the clothes, but I'm not going to dry them. Therefore, I will hang them on a clothesline, correct?
2: Well, that's what I do every day because I don't have a dryer. Oh, Um, okay. We just have a tiny little washer. I do a load of laundry every day because it's just so little that I I have to, to keep up on stuff.
3: There's only three of us. Yeah,
2: there's only three of us. But a compromise um, that I would make on a cloudy day would be maybe I don't do a load of laundry today or maybe we don't, um, you know, Opal doesn't get to watch this little show that she, you know, wanted to watch or we, you know, we sacrifice a little bit of TV time or we sacrifice um, having the lights on at night or something like that.
0: Okay. So you're still living in your camper. You you still haven't finished your house yet.
3: Correct.
2: Correct.
0: Okay, are you about done or not?
3: No, the house was actually the last thing on our list to build.
2: We haven't started our house yet. It'll hopefully next year sometime.
0: Yeah, cuz don't you have uh, 3 years to complete that? At least that's what I've read on the website, unless that's changed.
2: Yes.
3: Um, okay. And I will likely, because it's not gonna, it'll take me longer than a year to build our home. I'll ask for an extension when that time comes. Okay. Um, but other people that I've spoken to that uh, are still out here from the process have asked for extensions, and it's pretty, pretty nice to be able to work with someone without this hard fast deadline. But the three year uh, period. It helps you put in perspective what you need to get done and what your priorities should be, I think. And it is part of the, the rules or the regulations that we agree to.
2: Yeah. Well, one thing out here that's been um, a little bit of a learning curve is that, you know, living in town, you're close to the, the hardware stores, you're close to everything that you need that's not the case out here and, um, the weather and the wind and and the mud and the dirt and just all those factors come into play and, um, things take a lot longer out here than they do, you know, out in the city. And so we're all, we're all learning that together. And so I, the three years is, you know, we, as a, as a community, we want everyone to be striving to get their lots and their goals achieved but also realizing that sometimes it's not feasible in that three years to get everything done just because of how long things can take out here, but um, still having everyone striving toward achieving that goal.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this and uh, Jesse can chime in at any time. How are you building your house, uh, John and Cheryl? Are you using straw? Are you using regular insulation? because I know one of the things that is really stressed on the website and in Phil's presentations is you build your house as energy efficient as possible. So how are you going to be doing that? Are you going to be using straw for insulation or what?
3: That's a great question. So um, we, there is no rule or regulation saying what we have to build out of. Now I, with my construction background, have always done stick, Building right your standard everyday home, yeah. Um, there for insulation, there are people out here building their houses out of hay bells, they have houses being built out of earth block. Um, for us, we were lucky enough that one of our shareholders had spoken to an insulation company that if it doesn't pass their quality control, our there that they have to throw it away and instead of spending thousands of dollars throwing it away he's worked at a deal that if we promise not to sell it but we can use it for our community that uh, that we can do so so um we will be using a, a poly insulation around the outside of our home um and it will just be a standard stick build probably with sheetrock inside and all the the bells and whistles of a normal house without the huge energy draw pieces of equipment.
0: Okay. And then how you, I guess you're just going to put a lot of insulation to make your house at least 65 to 70 degrees. I, I, I suspect well, you're going to be running an air conditioner in the hut blazing summer.
3: There's a, in, in solar, um, passive solar homes you optimize uh, everything you can. So solar mass could be anything from concrete that absorbs heat and then releases it through the night in the winter time, or uh, in the summer, you have just enough overhang. So at when the Pretty sun great. is at its peak, that there is no heat entering in the home through the windows and it will keep it cool. Uh, there's a lot of really neat science-based engineer-based ideas out there to how to do that but you do want to seal your envelope in any home uh with insulation to keep whatever cool in you want or heat in that you want
0: yeah did you want to say anything cheryl Uh, so i guess let me ask you this Uh, are you going to be using an air conditioner at all because that would really take up solar power
2: um so in the summertime when we're getting, you know, 14 hours of sun or however however much sun it is, don't quote me on that, um, it's, it's not an issue. And once we start getting into the fall and in the early spring, we, we haven't really needed the air conditioning. We can just open our windows and we're fine. Um, so in the middle of the summer when it's, you know, the sun's full blaze, Using the air conditioning hasn't been an issue with our solar power at all. So, really? Um, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. It's in fact, we're still that surprises creating, me. We still have more energy than we can use, even running our AC all day. And so, wow, yeah, that has been an issue.
0: But the thing that you have to worry about maybe is well, I guess right now it's summer. So, you, I guess you don't have to worry about rationing your electricity for laundry i guess you have enough power enough panels to where the battery picks up the charge and you go from there i guess
3: yeah i i can't think of a day this summer or spring that where we weren't fully charged by 2 p.m and most of the time it's around noon and after
2: cloudy days yeah
3: after that it just charges the batteries at a trickle so even if we were able to get six kilowatts in we're only using two inside our home. So the Solark system that we have for ours only allows, you know, 2.7 and that disperses it to our needs. And then the 0. 0.7 goes to trickle charge the battery. Uh, and most systems I'm assuming are very similar to that.
0: Interesting. Okay. So My, uh, if it's uh, sub-zero weather, can you still get the solar power or not? if it's yes. not cloudy
2: as yeah as long as the sun's shining we can we can get power
3: and i
0: mean i don't know so how you're going to feel the sun in sub-zero weather but i guess it still shines
3: yeah so even when it's a little cloudy the uh, the photovoltaics is still kicking in it's not as it's not as uh blunt as when you know there is no clouds or the strong um source of uv that you get but uh like I said, there's probably only half a dozen times when it was just overwhelmingly cloudy, kind of like snowstorms that we even needed our generator at all.
2: Well, we had a really wet, cloudy, stormy winter. So, yeah. Um,
3: and we hope those continue.
2: Yes, we do.
0: Yeah. Cause I know snow gets on your solar panels, your toast from what I've heard.
3: Uh, so that's, that was actually fun. We, we'd wake up in the morning and I'd, First thing I'd have to do is go brush the snow off. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Anything you want to add to this, uh, Jesse?
1: Sure. I I can tell about my my house. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I I went with the simply built plan. I saw how fast it went up for Philip, and I threw out my plans and adopted his and tweaked it a little bit. And uh, the Simply Built company came out and set it up. um, Went really quick to get the shell done. Uh, I did hire uh, Lance, who lives out there, to finish it. The company got it started, and he finished it for me. But uh, I was out there in January February. It was 32 degrees outside. And because of the way the house is set up to receive the sunlight coming in the front, windows it got up with no outside heat it got up to 71 degrees by three o'clock and it was 32 degrees outside just from sun coming in the windows uh so you know my my walls are nine inches thick of uh encapsulated polystyrene so styrofoam and oh, then the you the oh. put in your house Actually, um uh, well styrofoam like your styrofoam cups are made out of
0: really okay
1: but nine inches thick yeah wow so then uh on top of that i put some of that free insulation jonathan was talking about and then a plastic barrier and then sheetrock i think that was the order no the sheetrock and the no the insulation and the plastic barrier were backwards but anyway so um uh, I did install a uh mini split which is a heat uh, basically a heat pump you can pump heat into the house in the winter or cooler in the summer um just just as a added benefit it did get up inside the house it did get up to 85 degrees which you know when you're coming in from 100 degrees outside 85 feels great <laughs> but but i went ahead and installed the mini split it, it really does I, I went ahead and installed the mini split just to take the edge off so it's easier to get to sleep at night
0: but yeah so um when you have solar powering your house uh, do you have to worry about uh how much Power you need, or uh, let's see, how many panels you'll need, and then do you need extra panels to charge the batteries? How do you decide how many panels you're going to need? Let's say you have a 3,000-square-feet house. I don't know if you're going to have a 3,000-square-foot house out there where you're at, but let's just – what would you have to consider to power your whole house by solar then – how much would the battery be charged versus how much would be using be in use in real time?
3: So all of your uh, all of your stuff, there's a lot of variables involved. Uh, how many amp hours each battery will hold, uh, what if they're connected in a 24 volt series to a 48 or if it's all 12 volt, and how they transform that power into AC. And so depending on what unit you would go with, you would just have to make those calculations. But uh, Ohm's law, you can calculate from watts to amps, depending on if you wanted a traditional AC in your home instead of maybe uh, a mini split or where the geothermal, right, where you dig into the ground and the earth temperature is 55 degrees, and you can pump air through you know, pipes or a water system. Um, so you take and consider everything that you want in your home and you use some calculations to determine how many kilowatts that you would need to run that, that system at any given minute. And then you would have to figure out the batteries. Um, I love woodworking and I plan on having a small wood shop as well as other, other things that I like, enjoy doing. So we had to take that in consideration when it came to how many panels we want and the, the battery backup that we feel like we needed.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking of myself here. If I lived out in this community and I worked for a radio station and I was able to broadcast from my home, on those cloudy days, let's say we had about three or four cloudy days and the battery was running low, uh i'd probably have to go into the station in the city let's say the station was in salt lake i'd probably have to go there and do the show wouldn't i because
3: there's only so much
0: battery power to go around
3: well generators can operate on fuel on propane on um natural natural gas so it depends on what kind of backup you have uh and that would be a a big deal because so there's when plan a doesn't work, you have to resort to a plan B or your alternative. And so um, that's been really fun. And I think part of other people's um, assignment, when they're thinking about how am I going to make it work based on the finances I have? Uh, because when we talked to Philip Leason, it wasn't like, Oh, you want to do this in are in." It was like, have you thought about X, Y, or Z? Um, to make sure that we were really prepared for what we were getting into. And so that yeah. would go and calculate into if you needed to work from home, like do you have a generator that would be able to power your basic needs as well as uh, what you wanted to broadcast?
0: Yeah. Cause some of this broadcast equipment does take a lot of electricity yeah. Uh, and, you know, probably in the blazing hot summer, I guess I would do okay. But I'm also thinking in the winter when it's cloudy and snowing and all that, I, I guess I'd have to have a powerful generator as a backup somehow. Yeah, but Jesse. You would have much oh, go To ahead.
3: talk about out here, you would probably be uh, nationwide, and people would just want to hear the stories you tell every single day. So, I mean, it would be great for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, well, uh, Jesse, do you want to add anything to this uh, discussion about solar panel? Jonathan you knows solar... a
1: whole lot more about solar panels than I do. I just l- looked at what Philip set up and copied it. <laughs> Okay, And amazingly, I got the thing to work.
0: Now, I do want to go back to uh, the omission to the community, uh, Operation Self-Reliance Riverbed Ranch. Are there cases where people came out there and let's say after three to six months, they didn't like it? And what were the reasons for not liking it? And then what did they do to exit? Because I know you have to have an exit plan in case that happens. And I'm sure it's happened now. Yeah. Or at least it didn't um, work out.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Some people inherited land elsewhere and so they sold and left. Um uh, like I mentioned, the one family that kids refused to live out there and so the, they left. I I know there are several right now because the housing market went soft and they were planning on their home selling for a great price and it didn't. And so now they're kind of stuck. And so they're trying to sell I'm helping them do that. Happy to do that. Um so let's see. I'm I'm curious if the Olsons know of reasons why people have left.
2: Um I don't know of reasons why people have left, but I, I do I've seen um Well, I, I know reasons why people are, you know, not happy or satisfied out here. I, I think a lot of it all comes down to the fact that, you know, when we live in the city, we have everything at our fingertips and we're used to just having what we want when we want it. And you move out here and you realize there's a huge element of sacrifice that comes into your everyday life. And You, you have to be patient and you have to, you have to work hard every day just to achieve even the small goals and you want, you know, you want your barn up or you want your house built, but it's not going to happen in a month or two, maybe even six months or a year. You know, it, it takes, everything takes time. And I think that that, from what I've seen, that that is what's the hardest for some people is realizing that everything the amount of time and work that everything takes out here and not wanting to um well maybe not wanting to but not not, not yeah, not okay wanting to put that in there yeah not being okay with that realizing that it wasn't what they were hoping and dreaming for and yeah I don't know if that makes sense,
3: but <laughs> yeah, it does. I don't personally know anybody that is trying to leave for any one reason or another. So
2: yeah, we just well, that's I would imagine uh,
0: even though you're out there in the South Reliant community, John and Show, you probably do go to Salt Lake what once a month, probably.
3: Um, yeah, we have my I have, We have our parents that live in Orem, and so mm-hmm. we'll go in and visit. We normally so we're we're an hour and about. 20 minutes to an hour and a half to Delta, which has a a lumber store and a grocery store and some of the basic card needs. Uh, But we're about two, two and a half hours to visit our family. And so we will plan our trips accordingly that we don't go into town for a loaf of bread right? Because that would yeah. be ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So um, if,
0: you, if you're going to go into town shopping, you've got to plan a whole trip. You, you probably will yeah. stay yeah. there for about two or three hours going to Costco or whatever.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: But, yeah. <laughs> you yeah got it. It, it's yeah. a whole day that's event. It. Yep. So it's a
2: very different life out here. Very I would different imagine what we've all been used to. So I think that's the hard transition for people.
0: What do you do for food? Do you uh, know people that butcher their animals out there and you can buy it? Or how do you, I'd imagine you probably have a lot of food storage out there or something.
2: Yes. Oh, so we, we have our own, um, we have our own ducks and chickens. So we have our own supply of eggs um, And and meat. And we're going to hopefully be getting goats this fall. And our, our goal is to be completely self-sustained with our, our meat and our dairy. And um, our vegetables, we, we grow, we have a greenhouse. We have all of our own vegetables. I haven't bought vegetables in months. Um, and just to get to the point where it's a year round thing, like we have fruits and vegetables year round and meat and eggs and everything and dairy year round. But That's some, of
3: our, some of our friends who live out here They've harvested uh, a pig, mm-hmm. uh, multiple people have harvested pigs and goats, and some people have rabbits, mm-hmm. um, and we, we've we mainly harvested ducks and chickens for ourselves, yeah. and uh, yeah, did, did that answer your question about from the meat perspective?
0: Yeah. Okay.
3: And that's a very interesting thing, too, because uh, if you go to the store and you look at the price of steak or your chicken, uh, yeah. there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into how it gets onto your plate. But when you have yeah. to go take the life of an animal, there's a little bit more involved because I don't enjoy
2: yeah,
3: uh, killing.
2: We love um, our ducks and chickens. Yeah, they all have names.
3: And yeah. so we are a little bit more grateful for what we have be- for that fact alone.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, well, I know that there's a lot of freeze-dried food out there. A lot of people are making their own if they have the money to buy one of those uh, harvest right freeze-dryers. Did you folks yes. do any of that before you went out there, knowing that this would be hard? So did you do a whole lot of freeze-dried meals and all that?
3: We did not. I have talked to someone who has done it, and they really love it. They, they talked about how the freeze-drying takes about depending on what you're doing, could take three to five days. Yeah. Um, and so that's a lot of energy yeah. there because we thought after we were going to buy it, knowing it was a big investment. But once I spoke to someone, um, we do canning and, and dehydrating. And dehydrating. Mm-hmm. Um, free drying might be something down the road, but I we don't yeah. have any current plans for it.
2: I'm also, this is all an experiment this year because I haven't grown anything yet. We just got our greenhouse up. Um, so I haven't done winter gardening yet, but there's a, um, there's a lot of information on winter gardening about different plants you can grow that do well in the winter time that you can have year round. So I'm hoping to get that going so I can just go out to the greenhouse and pick, you know, whatever vegetables I want in the middle of January and bring it in and cook it fresh. That's yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm, I am so uh, anxious to hear how the swimming pool helps uh, uh, absorb <laughs> absorb and radiate heat in your greenhouse. Kevin, yes. they have a swimming pool in their greenhouse.
0: Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. How do you power your swimming pool? Because you've got to have a water pump circulating the water in that thing.
3: Yeah. It only takes about 700 watts to run it. Um, so it's for, for us, that's with the amount of solar energy we produce. Uh, it doesn't hinder us at all and we can run it from we think we have it on a timer right now from about eight thirty in the morning to run until six thirty at night
0: and, and you then, really only need
3: to run them for eight hours roughly
0: what do you do when the pump is shut off just don't use it
3: well uh so normal swimming pool you run for a typical about an eight hour day um i you know, I've never had an in-ground swimming pool. I just know what I've read online. But if you run your, your pump for eight hours, it helps clean and purify and circulate the chlorine. Um, and so we just run our pump during the hours between, of you know, roughly 830 in the morning to 630 at night. Our
0: and you safety, have this inside your house?
3: Uh, it's inside our greenhouse.
0: Oh, okay. And okay. so it's
3: a thermal mass, you know, the water temperature helps uh keep humidity in the air in the blazing yeah. hot heat right we are in the middle of the west desert and so right now in our in our greenhouse it is uh 103 degrees with 30 percent humidity but outside it's 102 with 11 percent humidity um
2: but all of our plants are doing great because of the humidity. Yeah, even yes, even when it's in the hundreds, they're they're still doing really well, but because of all the moisture that's in there.
0: Now, so you're probably talking. not swimming in your above ground pool right now. No, we are because no. it's so well, hot. We, we oh. do
2: go swim in it. Yeah, it's actually really nice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. I was talking with a neighbor and telling them our our goals. Uh, we our little girl, she just turned eight years old, and she has a choice to be baptized, like make a covenant with god and we decided that she was going to or she decided she was going to and so instead of us traveling three hours to get to a congregational building that had a a baptismal font we decided we would have it here on our property and Mm -hmm. have everybody come to us we
2: buy the pool yeah here and then our
3: neighbor was like i'm gonna put a pool in my greenhouse and it just it just hit me at once because i was planning on having it outside and You know, it just bubbled into my consciousness, you know, the thermal mass and all the cool things that would happen, you know, being in there in the wintertime to swimming and having fun without having to endure. Sometimes we get some dust storms are a big deal out here. And so it was just all of those things combined. I was like, I'm going to steal that idea. Wow. And it's it's really cool.
2: Yeah.
0: So does your above ground pool have uh, chlorine in it?
3: we yeah we have to keep about a tab or okay. two every four days or so
2: it's only we it wasn't a big deal when it was cooler but when it got warmer we had a huge algae bloom in our pool
4: Forgot oh
2: and so week. yeah so we have to manage that and kind of keep it down
0: oh wow yeah i guess uh, the salt water doesn't work because i know some of the public pools out there put salt water not not uh not the kind that you see uh, that you feel in the ocean. I guess it's different. I don't know how it all works, but I guess that doesn't work in your case.
3: Uh, we would want to use the water that we have if we ever needed it for uh, watering. Oh yeah. Like, if we ever had to expel it out, that it wouldn't damage our soil. It is in our greenhouse, so.
2: And the chlorine we use, it's very minimal, and it's so diluted okay. that it's it's not that big of a deal. But it's enough to keep the algae at bay.
0: So I remember as a kid, I, we used to swim in the public pool. Of course, this is back in 1987, 86, 87. I kid you not, hours later, I'd still smell like chlorine unless I took a shower <laughs> afterwards. Which, well, uh, what you, kids, oh, what?
3: If you can smell the chlorine, that means it's doing its job. Like we have, we don't let kids pee in the pool or anything like that.
2: Yeah, we have but, some very strict rules. <laughs>
3: We have a little porta potty that they're allowed to use right outside the pool to make it easy oh, okay. for.
0: Okay. So. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh have I covered everything everybody? Is there anything else you want to cover? Anything I'd forgotten to go over? By the way, if you all don't mind stay with me real quick after the podcast, I have something uh to ask you, but uh before we on the podcast, have I forgotten anything? I don't think so.
4: Oh, you I forgot like- to ask
1: us our favorite colors.
4: Oh.
0: What's that? <laughs> oh. You
1: forgot to ask our favorite colors.
0: What's your favorite color?
1: <laughs> Maroon.
0: <laughs> actually, uh, John and Shaw, I think you need to fish in your above ground pool, and then you'd become rednecks.
2: Well, oh. actually. <laughs> don't. So No, I'm going to say it. So we have another greenhouse that we're planning on putting up. And in that greenhouse, because I've loved the pool so much in this greenhouse, just because, um, just for the simple fact of how it's keeping it humid and our plants are doing so well, we're going to put another pool in our other greenhouse, but that one's going to have fish in it. That's for aquaponics. Yeah. We're
0: oh, gonna wow. Do our- that one. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so we will be rednecks. <laughs> we kind of are already and yeah
0: <laughs> but that's an yeah. old jeff foxworthy joke by the way
2: yep yeah.
3: <laughs> remember come get that transmission out of the bank yeah <laughs> well, i can yep. take it back yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yeah well anything else uh, any of you want to cover
3: well we didn't know what your favorite color is kevin
0: uh probably yeah. i don't know probably red
3: Red. Okay. Yep. I just realized as I said, and I was like, huh, that doesn't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: well, how,
2: how does that work? Um, we Canada. should. Oh, go ahead.
1: We should probably mention that we're building our second, we're starting our second community in Arizona.
0: You know, oh, hopefully. yeah, that's right. If That's yeah, right. That's um, yeah, tell us about that a little bit. Well, uh, there's some some
1: differences and similarities between the property that we found um i was keeping an eye, eye on you know uh 1000 we we need at least a 1000 acres to do what we're doing and this property came up it's just shy of 1300 acres uh, east of snowflake um it's uh high desert but there's gobs of um, uh, evergreen trees. What are they called? Junipers. Um, yes, junipers and trees like that out there. There are some areas that are uh, just grassy areas, and that's where we're going to build our first few uh, neighborhoods. We're doing, we're, we're approaching, we're trying to take all the lessons we're learning from Riverbed Ranch and apply them and tweak, tweak the model a little bit for arizona and then we'll do the same thing on our next community and just keep going until we get this perfected you (laughs) ought to build um, one up here in montana In Arizona, well actually the original plan was to put one in arizona utah idaho wyoming and then uh alberta canada personally i don't like the idea of wyoming or montana because of the Yellowstone Caldera, oh yeah. But, but um, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm pushing for Eastern Oregon or Eastern Washington.
0: Oh man, we'll see good luck. Happens. That's but... so liberal over there. Good luck with uh, getting <laughs> that done. Haven't
1: you heard there? Haven't you heard all those counties are trying to merge into Idaho? Yes,
0: I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. Uh, there, it there's... probably won't. It probably yeah. won't.
1: The liberals would lose their tax base.
0: Well, the very uh, fact that they're talking, the very fact they voted on it says something. I just don't think it's going to happen. I could be wrong, and I want to be wrong. I just don't think it will. Yeah. It'd be awesome if it did. <laughs> and even Idaho's getting pretty yeah. liberal. I we well, I've done some podcasts about what's happening with Evan Bundy and Baby Cyrus. Yeah, I
1: don't, know. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. But uh, with, so with yeah Arizona. Um with Arizona we're uh with Utah it took a year to get the properties all laid out us all surveyed and marked and we didn't want to wait a year for Arizona so we're just doing 20 to 30 neighborhoods first and do you know get that laid out first and then s- start building the community that way instead of waiting a whole year to get the whole thing done so um one of the upsides of Arizona property is that it's five degrees cooler in this or four degrees cooler in the summer, four degrees warmer in the winter than riverbed ranch, uh, probably because it has all the trees and riverbed ranch doesn't yet. Oh, um, wow. The, Interesting. Yeah, and one of, the, one of the differences is that, uh, Costler Cove is the name of the community, is that it's uh, significantly closer to town than Riverbed Ranch. It only takes it's only like 18 miles, not as the crow flies, but as you drive 18 miles to get into Snowflake and Taylor in the sister city. Um, So it'll be, it should be easier for people to build quicker there. Uh Um, One of the one of the interesting aspects of Costler Cove over Riverbed Ranch, Riverbed Ranch, we have no neighbors. We're completely surrounded by federal and state lands. And so there's no neighbors for us to annoy. Yeah. <laughs> In Arizona, there's lots of neighbors. <laughs> They're yeah. all off grid too. So you you would think, you would think immediately they would say, oh, cool. More off critters. But, um, There was quite a bit of uh, uproar, I guess you could call it, in the area when we announced that I set up a a meet your new neighbors, you know, meet and greet event. We had 100 people show up, according to the newspaper. Uh, There was standing room only. There was about 20 people standing around in the back, including a sheriff deputy, thank goodness. Uh, So he kept things calm. Uh, when we first started the meeting there was there was uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, I don't know what to call it stress in the air but by the end of the meeting people had heard what we were doing and realized that we weren't just coming in to rake the land like most developers do you know yeah. build a bunch of houses and skedaddle uh, where yeah. they're uh, long term and um, anyway so by the end of the meeting uh, the the attitude in the room had significantly changed for the positive. In fact, there were several community leaders who hung out and shot the breeze with us afterwards and were excited about well, what we could add to the area. So so we, yeah. we get to learn how to deal with neighbors. So that'll be different.
0: Oh, well, that's awesome. Um, I was going to ask you, too, now that you've mentioned it, and I have more time to think. Are you, uh, Jesse, planning to install cell phone towers out there in uh, the Riverbed Ranch? Because there is no cell phone service. Unless, of course, you have Wi-Fi well, on it, your cell phone. Okay.
1: Right. Yeah, everybody's doing uh, voice over IP, so voice over your Internet service. Okay. But uh, one of our shareholders, one of, in fact, the family that joined after I did, they took, gosh, he took about a year to contact every internet provider and every cell phone company he could track down, and uh, nobody, nobody wanted to put up a tower. So um, we we did have a, a fiber optic. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the company, Beehive Broadband agreed to let us tap into their work that's only seven miles north of us. But the problem is the Bureau of Land Management, our application to dig a tiny trench across their seven miles of property, that set our application still apparently sitting on somebody's desk. Oh, wow. Uh, in the BLM. And you know that's been two years, so in the meantime, we're all using uh, satellite internet. Okay. And and uh, he he was assured um, he was assured that no one would ever bring a, I know some people are worried about uh, the newer cell phone system. What's that called? Five G. Yeah, some yeah. people are worried about that. Uh, I don't know anything about it, but um, he was assured that no one would ever afford to put a 5G tower out there. So some people find comfort in that.
0: Now, did the company, the cell phone companies, not want to put a tower out there just because it wasn't economical? There's so few people out there.
1: Right. That's my assumption. Even yeah, with, okay. Uh, uh, Thousand people, because we're so far away from any others, they would have to put up several towers to get to us. Now, if I stand on top of my uh, well pump house at the top of my lot, and it's a clear day, I can get one bar.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. On my cell phone. Really, you can you um, you can get to a from, tower from on Delta. a clear day. There's you uh, also can go one bar what's that that's true you can get two
1: bars if you go up on top of one of the hills really
3: yeah we just were out hiking one day and i had service um and then there's a there's a couple hills that people know of for emergencies
0: okay maybe i didn't try it i i just got no cell phone service out there maybe i didn't try going on the hills
3: (laughs) i would say they're probably very special spots
0: oh yeah well uh one more thing uh you folks have a harvest dinner or harvest party coming up i guess you have one in the spring and the fall are you doing that this year and tell us a little bit about those
2: yes we are Um, yes i think they're calling it the lunar the lunar harvest festival or something i don't know what is that there's something to do with like the The harvest moon like the lunar festival or something i don't remember exactly what they're calling it this year but it's in october oh okay it's basically our harvest festival
0: so what what goes on at your harvest festival
2: um oh you go ahead
3: john no it's jesse if if you have anything to chime in please feel free so we've been (laughs) to three of them now and they have like activities for kids uh a potluck um, um we did uh, a small maze for the kids last year out of hay bales. Um, games, tug of war. People just get together, chit chat, find out what's working and, and what's yeah. not for whatever we're trying to grow or do.
2: It's just Anything else? Very ch- relaxed and yeah. but fun too. It ri- reminds me of what um, like the hoedowns probably looked like back in the day. It's not, (laughs) um, there's, yeah, it's not, um, I I don't know the right word for it. I'm sorry. Today was like the worst day for me to forget my words. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just very laid back and relaxed and it's fun.
0: Well, great. I would imagine you have pretty good dinners. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and they have a chili cookoff too.
0: Oh wow! Uh, yes, that's true. Last nice. Last year, wow.
1: Last year they had a speaker, a national known agricultural author came out and gave a presentation. Oh. oh. And. Uh, and they uh, they also had some line dancing going on.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: The teenagers really enjoyed that.
0: Very interesting, Cheryl and John. I got to ask you real quick before we go. How did your parents feel about you coming out to these the self sufficient community? I should have asked you this in the beginning.
2: It's <laughs> a great question. Yes, um, I think there was definitely a very high level of concern and worry. And Jonathan's mom actually admitted to me that she thought we were crazy. And after coming out here, she's like, okay, you're not the crazy crazy. You're just more like a cool crazy. And <laughs> I, I still don't know what that means, but.
3: My dad was super supportive. Hurt. Uh, I think your dad is very self-reliant, motivated. Yeah. And um, he was a little sad that we took his granddaughter away, but mm-hmm. full. I think full support from him.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that my mom, Well, my parents are divorced, so my mom and stepdad were super supportive. They love it out here. My dad and stepmom were a little more reluctant. And um, your parents, you can tell that. Yeah,
3: we were in the process. We just barely remodeled their kitchen, bathroom, living room, and I had a little bit more to do. And I said, "Look, I just I received this witness, the spiritual impression that I'm supposed to take my family move, and my mom." Uh, without words like devastated it, it, the the feeling I got and I thought it was just because I was leaving but she was really concerned for our welfare that maybe you know that I was misled or you know probably yeah. now that I look back on it she might have been concerned for me spiritually my spiritual welfare but uh, once they came out they have a little place to stay we have a little camper that they can come in we call it the dust hotel and uh they enjoy it now yeah so it just took a little while
0: yeah i'd imagine that happened. uh jesse how did your family react when they told you when you told them you were going to come out there
1: actually my wife was somewhat hesitant um which is funny because she grew up uh branding cows out in the arizona desert um when 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 she's in town, she's still working. She works for the school district. When when she's in town, she often wonders, you know, are we crazy? But when she's out there and she's completely at peace, she loves our little property. She loves our house. Um, you know, it's it's the the pull of both worlds. You know, there's there are two very different lifestyles. Yeah, and each of them has advantages and disadvantages so you just have to pick which one
0: you want well folks uh is there anything that i glossed over
2: i don't think so
1: can't think of anything
0: all right well thank you very much for coming on the podcast and uh if you can uh stick with me here for a few minutes um in the meantime, folks, I will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. If you want to follow us on Facebook, go ahead and do so at Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone. If you want to follow us on Twitter, Gitter, and True Social, you can do so at RKY Freedom. That's R-K-Y, then the word freedom. If you have a suggestion, comment, or you know of a guest that you think I should interview, go ahead and email the podcast. That email is Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at ProtonMail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at proton, com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at ProtonMail.com. Thank you for listening.